We've, had, we've heard that old saying that God helps those who help themselves. I don't know who started that or how that became a saying, but it's caught on so, so far and wide at different churches. I've heard it in sermon applications before, and really the idea is for in order to preserve yourself, in order to help yourself, first you have to initiate the help before God can come in. And really it's a way to invoke God's supernatural hand into your life so that you could be saved. And it makes sense today when people want to be helped. If you look outside in the world, you just turn on the nightly news, there's wars and riots, there's violence, there's the political division that's just engulfing this nation more than ever. I don't have to tell you guys, you know, political commentaries, you know it, it's evident before us. But people are wanting to be helped. They want to be saved. Whatever their worldview may be, they want to preserve that worldview and chase after that so that they could prosper in their way of life. And in a way, they want to help themselves, and by helping themselves, it actually becomes a two-edged sword. That very help that they pursue ends up being the very damage to their lives. I'm, a, I'm an army chaplain. I know uh, Pastor Mock introduced me as such, and I see that firsthand all the time. So many soldiers, they come to my office, and the help that they want to get and the help that they pursue ends up being self-inflicting wounds. And that's the world all around us. But as Christians, we see a tension with that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. We know we can't do anything good. We have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, you guys are you know, great Reformed Calvinists. You know the tea and tulip, total depravity. We are so depraved that we can't even help ourselves without first God intervening in our life. And that, that makes sense. That's the purpose of the gospel. We look to Christ who could save our souls, who could preserve our life, not just here physically, but for all eternity. And that's something that we have to hear today more than ever, regardless of the sound all around us outside these four walls. We must trust in Christ, knowing he's the one who preserves our life. Beloved, God preserves his people for his glory and for his name's sake. And what I see in Psalm 16 is really uh, the solace of the Reformation. I, I know it might be a stretch in some places, and I'm just encouraged to see how God preserves his people. And we understand that through the means of the solace of the Reformation, which are, you know, you guys are good Reformed folks. I know Pastor Mock has, he has it actually on his lapel. The five solas are sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christos, soli dea gloria, and sola scriptura. I know that might be a different order to which that you're used to. I'm just going to use in that order for this sermon illustration this day. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Sola vide. God preserves his people with faith alone. Faith is that preserving attribute of a true Christian. We understand this from Paul. Paul says that faith is a gift of God and not of ourselves. He likewise says in Romans, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by what? By faith and not apart from the deeds of the law. So when we look here in Psalm 16, we see David put in his faith to God. He says in the first line, in verse 1, Preserve me, O God. Beloved, you hear that cry of David? We know David, do we not? He's that renowned warrior of old. He fought many foes. We know his exploits in combat from First and Second Samuel. Everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. You could go outside and ask someone 
about the story of David and Goliath. They may never been in church, but they know that story, how this young boy, or the King James says young lad, stood against this giant of a man and slew him. He was a mighty warrior. But when David says here, preserve me, O God, I don't think it's a physical preservation that he's seeking here. Beloved, he's, he's seeking God for a spiritual safety and, and secure of his soul, his very soul. He's coming to God. And he's using this word called, called uh, shamar. This word has an attribute for ordination for a priest. God tells the priests, the Levites, to shamar, to guard, to preserve the Ark of the Covenant, to guard over the entrance of the temple. See, David's looking forward to God the priest, and I will argue from this psalm alone that it's actually Christ Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, that he's asking to be his priest here. Likewise, we know from John 8 that, that all the, from Abraham and all the prophets were looking to Christ, and David himself is looking to Christ, and he's asking God to be his priest. The same word, Shamar, was used uh, by God to ordain Adam in the garden. This word, to preserve that David is asking God is, is a priestly attribute. It's a connotation to, to really um, be a spiritual help in a time of need. And David knows that no priest in his life could protect his soul. No priest in his day could go to the temple or the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement for a sin. He realizes that, and that's why he's going to God, and he's asking God to be his priest because only God could satisfy, satisfy his holy law. David knows that, and that's why he is going to God to be preserved. Beloved, he's placing his faith in God the priest here in verse 1. Sola fide is that hallmark of a saving Christian, of a, a Christian being preserved by God in this day and age. Look at the uh, second half of verse, uh, verse 1. It says, for in you I put my trust. Some translation says, for in you I, I, you're my refuge. And I love this because what David is trying to convey here, the imagery is as if he is running to a, a fortified city-state with high walls into the middle of it. And that city-state that he's going to, this fortified fort, right, is God himself. He's running into God, in the presence of God, to be preserved. The enemies of the Lord cannot overcome God at all, and he knows that. So he's putting his faith in God, who's his priest, to satisfy the law of God on behalf of David. He's running into the presence of God himself. David sounds a lot like Paul. When I was reading this, I was blown away because we see the consistent (laughs) <laughs> the consistent theology of God through and through from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Paul realized this as well. Paul's theology is summed up in two words. We read it in Ephesians many of times. It's summed up in two words, in Christ, in Christ. David, likewise, wants to be found in God. We know from Romans 8, 1 that Paul says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus or his, his greetings to the, uh, the Corinthians, the First Corinthians 1, he says this, those who are sanctified in who? Christ Jesus. Greetings to those. Or Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in who? Christ Jesus. Beloved, 
This is what David is putting his hope to. He's fixing his eyes on faith in God, knowing that God could stand for him, to advocate for him, and he's running into God. He's running to be found, I would say, in Christ Jesus, which I will explain a little bit further along in this psalm. But notice the second part or the second verse here. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and my goodness is nothing apart from you. Beloved, this is David's confession. He knows he has no good in himself, that he can't preserve himself. So many times we have heard, I'm sure you guys have heard it as well, that people would say to you when you share the faith, like, no, I have to atone my own sins. Beloved, they can't. That's a filthy offering. They can't atone for their own sins. They cannot bring to God a right offering because they're not in a right standing with God. And David knows this, and that's why he says, my goodness is nothing apart from you, O Lord. Sola fide, it's a hallmark faith for us to be preserved. It's not our faith that we conquer up in ourselves. It's a faith gift by God, and we receive it by grace. Next point is sola gratia. God preserves his people by grace alone. We see that in verses four and five, or five and six, I'm sorry, five and six. God, God preser- preserves his people in this present age because it's his gracious act to do so. Let's read verses uh, five and six real quick. It says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. At first, this may not express sola gratia by grace alone, but what is David trying to say here? What is he trying to express to us? David is using metaphorical language. He's talking about inheritance, and likewise, we know what that means. You know, we have people who receive a great inheritance. David, he comes from a, you know, a farming community. We can, we can read about Ruth, all four chapters. It's all about a lot, a land, a plot of dirt for someone to receive through an inheritance. By the way, I'm still waiting to receive some family inheritance, hopefully a family farm, um, maybe one day. It's not happening. I don't have any farmers in my family. But this is what David is seeking for. He sees his inheritance, but this is the beautiful, beautiful part of this portion of Scripture right here. This inheritance is something that he doesn't earn. You don't earn your inheritance. You don't earn this portion that David is talking about. This is something that he is receiving. He is passive in this. This is by grace alone. But do you notice what this inheritance or portion or lot is? He says, oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. It is God himself. It is God himself that David is receiving. I know he uses the term portion here. It may sound like a a small piece of the pie, as it were, but God is eternal. God is eternal. God is without beginning or end. To receive a little, quote-unquote, a little of God is to receive all of God. And David recognizes that God's immensity, that, that God fills all and is in all, is even in this, quote-unquote, small portion he is receiving. And he wants to dwell in God's inheritance in his life for his salvation. That inheritance is by grace alone. He is receiving that, and he is dwelling in that. Beloved, the more we dwell in God's presence, like David is here, the more we end up desiring God more. And beloved, I'll challenge you to this day. If you try to get more of God, you cannot get more of God because He is eternal. 
the more we want of Him, the more we desire of Him, and we cannot get enough. Notice what God, or David says about God here. It is God that maintains, maintains His lot. It is God that's still providing this portion for David to receive, and that He's upholding David's promises of his inheritance. God's sovereign hands over the, David's gift here. I love this because God's maintaining your gift this day as well. He's maintaining your inheritance found in Christ Jesus at this moment. It is God who's working in our lives. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are changing from, from one degree of glory to another. But before I move on, I want to look at this one portion of verse 5. It says, and my cup. And, and my cup. The Lord is my cup. In Psalms, we know that David uses a cup as a metaphor as well to either express two different things for us, either damnation or salvation. For example, for damnation, we can look at uh, Psalm 11. Upon the wicked, God will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. But for salvation, likewise, we read in Psalm 16, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I know he doesn't use cup in this psalm, but Psalm 34, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who trusts in him. We see David using this metaphor of a cup for the Lord. I love this because we understand what this means, right? We're in the Fort Bragg area, hydrate or die, right? If you're outside working out, you have to drink water. You can't just drink coffee constantly and run 14 miles. Trust me, I tried that. It doesn't go well. All right, or those who are in the military, you understand. If you don't hydrate, you you will see the medics, and that's not going to be a, a highlight of your day. Just put it that way, right? But the the problem with hydrating constantly outside, working out, or working on your car, doing yard work, you constantly have to continue to drink water to satisfy your thirst, so you don't end up going to the hospital or anything like that. The water is temporal. We cannot get enough of that, right? But what David is saying here, that God is his cup. He is drinking in God deeply here. Notice that, beloved? David has the living water that the woman in the well in John 4 wanted and needed. And David has it here. He understands that God is the living water, and he could continually drink on, to, drink on God for his sustenance for life. This is something that we have to hear, beloved, as Christians today, as we go out, we might be uh, thirsting for God every day outside, and we see so much turmoil, we see so much hate, we need to be preserved, and we see all kinds of chaos all around us. So many people are attacking each other, hating each other. We can't even see Christ out in the public sphere without people just turning to us and gnashing their teeth at us. We have to continue to drink in God more each day to satisfy our thirst. And likewise, just like how we receive a portion of God, we can't get enough of God. We keep on drinking God in for our soul. We can never get enough of God. Next, sola is solus Christos. Am I saying that right? He's a Latin teacher, so he could correct me. Solus Christos. God preserves his people and, and his son alone. The sola really stresses the all central, all-important work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and also his ascension. This is that sola. 
everything of Christ from his whole life, from his conception all the way to his ascension. This is the central sola for us. I love this because Peter describes as Christ as the ark for us to run to in this present age. And likewise, we see David doing that here in Psalm 16, hundreds if not thousands of years before Christ ever walked physically on this earth. Look at uh, verse 10, the second half. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Beloved, imagine singing the psalm before Christ, before the incarnation. You're a Jewish boy or girl growing up, and you sing the psalm in, in synagogue or at the temple, and you're confused. Who is David talking about here? Who is this Holy One? He goes from a first-person pronoun about I, 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 then he talks about this Holy One. Nor will you allow your Holy One. Mom, Dad, are you talk, is David talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? See, the, 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 the church before Christ was singing in the dark. But once Christ came, he illumined the scriptures for us. And it shines so bright here in our passage that this is Christ himself. The New Testament church understood this to be Christ. Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he, he references the scripture. He says that, the, uh, that Christ's body wasn't left in hell or Sheol, neither his flesh seen corruption. Peter used that as a basis to prove that Jesus is indeed Christ. And Paul did the same thing. Acts chapter 13, Paul says, he argues that Christ, or Jesus is indeed the Christ, and he quotes the scripture to the, the, the Jews in Turkey, or Asia, Asia Minor. The sensuality of Christ is present even in David's knowledge. He may not have called the Holy One Jesus Christ. He may not have known that you know, it's Jesus by name, but he called God, his, uh, God, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Messiah that he was looking forward to. I love this because David is looking to Christ alone for salvation. He knows that if he looks to Christ and trusts in him, that he's receiving all this by grace before God, that his soul, in the first part of verse 10, will not be left in Sheol. You see that? David is fixated on Christ before Christ ever walked this earth. <laughs> I love this. Beloved, David, David's singing, singing to Christ. He was singing about Christ before he knew Jesus by name, probably. Christ is sung in this psalm. I love this. But there's another portion of the psalm that, that really uh, blew me away. I was studying this, the, the title, really, the Mictam of David, and scholars are uh, divided on this, and I'm not going to say who's right or who's wrong, but it's argued that this is an atonement psalm, psalm, right? So God gave this psalm to the people of God to sing this psalm to God, and the emphasis of this psalm is, is an atonement song, to, to go to God, to, to set forth the atonement for our sins, to appease God for from our unrighteousness. And David is singing to God about God's Holy One to atone for his sin. Beloved, this is solus Christos through and through. This is a psalm that bleeds Christ's atoning work for us. And David realizes this, and that's why he goes and tells us in verses 4 not to chase after other gods. If we do, we will multiply our sorrows that's why he won't take their drink offerings upon his lips or say their names. He wants us to keep Christ on our lips and sing to God more and more, and especially his atoning work 
for our sins. This is so crazy when you read the psalm and you realize how much Christ is shining through this, knowing that the church at one time was singing this without realizing it is Christ Jesus. And they looked in faith and hope to the one who will come. Next, sola, soli dea gloria. God preserves his people in order that we may praise him. God preserves his people in order that we may praise him. We all know a shorter catechism question one. I'm sure, I'm sure we could all recite it together. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, there you guys go. You already know it. That's pretty much the only one I keep memorized at all times because it's so important. It's fixated on glorifying God and enjoying him. The problem with Israel in the Old Testament is that they kept on straying away, chasing after other gods. They gave glory to idols, to stone, to wood, to everything else except God. As David says in verse 4, as I quoted earlier, that their sorrows will be multiplied. But this sola is actually focusing on verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9, it says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart will also instruct me in the night seasons. And I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory, my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. <laughs> Beloved, this is David's change of heart. A change of heart is, is filled with gratitude with what God has done for him. He realized that it's by faith alone he could come to God and that it's by grace alone that he receives God's goodness and he looks to God's goodness. He finds Christ Jesus for him. What does he do? He praises God for it. My heart is glad, he says. I will bless the Lord. Beloved, we need to be in the, this world praising God, blessing the Lord for what he has done for us. He has taken the heart of stone that we have from our natural parents, and he has given us a heart of flesh to do his will. I stop and I meditate on this. I realize I do not sing enough at home to the Lord. I do not give praise enough for the Lord, for what he has done. Even this moment that he maintains my lungs with air, I should excel giving him praise. And this is what David is doing for us as an example. I love this psalm because it shows David's regenerate heart before God. So far, we, see, we have seen how sola fide and sola gratia and solus Christos has led us to soli dea gloria. As Christians, we cannot live this life without giving praise to the Lord. Next, next sola, I want to focus in, it's sola scriptura. The means to which God preserves his people is found in his word, in his word alone. This sola is really uh, teaches that all truth for our salvation is taught in scripture. We do not have to look to the tradition of the church, though it might be helpful and you know, edifying in some places. We don't have to look also to the saints who lived before us, like John Calvin, though he is a pious man. I love reading about his holiness and how he encourages me after 500 years after his death. We don't look to him or others for our salvation. We find our salvation explained to us so clearly in God's word, so clearly in God's word. That's really verse 11, really all of this whole psalm is Sola Scriptura, but verse 11 says this, David speaking to God, and once again, God, 
you will show me the path of life. The Word of God has always been the path of life. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in Him, the Logos, the Word, or if you're a seminar, seminarian Greek, Logos, was life. The Word was life. The life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend. Christ prayed this for us in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Or my scripture memorization verse that my wife and I are going through is Psalm 86. It says, teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The word of God has always been the means for us to know our salvation. And David makes it clear right here. He has shown us the word, even though he is the one writing this, is the word of God that has given him this word to write down for us to sing. Beloved, this is why we should be singing the Psalms anyways. I'm not exclusivist with singing the Psalms, but God has commanded us even in the New Testament to sing the Psalms. And we see Christ so much more in the Psalm, and also we see our salvation, our only hope in life and death in the Psalm, knowing that Christ will not leave our bodies in, really, the King James says, in hell. Our body, our souls will not be found in hell because we are found in Christ Jesus. The path of life is found in God's word. We know all the other solas really are based on this, this one, sola scriptura. We understand all this by God's word. And before I end with a quick application, I want us to know that God is preserving you today. You were made at a time such as these days that we're in. It doesn't matter what we face in this life. We have to hang on to the solas that God has given us found in the scriptures so that we may be like David, praising him and crying out to him and singing to him to be our priest so that God could advocate for us. I want us to be like David, running to God in our salvation or for our salvation. Run to him just like David did. Let us run with words of praise in our mouths. We are pres- really, we are preserved through our afflictions. No matter how much we suffer in this life, no matter how much pain and turmoil that you guys go through, no, much, how, no matter how much I go through, no, much, no matter how much the whole church universally goes through, our afflictions, our pains, our blood that is shed is by means of our preservation. First Peter says it this way, every time we suffer in this world, we partake in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That should just make us fall down to our knees praising God right now, does it not, beloved? When we suffer, We do it for Christ, and through our suffering, we are being preserved for His glory. Beloved, we should pray just like that awesome hymn that we sung, which is a different tune to which I'm used to, which is great, that we should pray to follow the train, the the steps of our Savior as the saints, as the prophets and the martyrs and the fathers. Let us pray to follow in their train. Beloved, we are preserved by God, and we cannot do anything to help ourselves. It is God who serves us and loves us and transforms us. We can't do it for ourselves. We have to trust in God. Let us pray. Father God, I just pray that these words are encouragement for us all, that we may 
live a holy life before you, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be conformed to your son's image. Lord, thank you so much for Psalm 16. Help us, help us sing this psalm and rejoice and pray the words found in this psalm for our edification and to influence others to be found in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in your son's beloved name, Jesus Christ. Amen.